Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. Happy to have on Richie Randall, who is the co-host of the Buzz Beat podcast. Uh, Richie from Chip and I, how's it going, and how's your day going so far? It's been going pretty well. I'm enjoying my summer. I'm actually a teacher, by the way, so we get summers off. And um, but this whole school year coming up, with uh, it being digital and virtual, it, it's going to be very stressful. Because I, I personally, I think teaching in the classroom is much easier. It's much more effective. Uh, but it's going to be ramping up here soon uh, in the middle of August and uh, just kind of situating all the kids and stuff like that. But overall, I'm doing well. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, same for the most part. Chip and I are both in education. So as, as you have it, um, I guess that makes sense for why we're doing this pod at 3 in the afternoon. We all have the time <laughs> to do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Chip, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm good, man. Uh, happy basketball's back. was watching a bunch of... LeBron stuff this morning. All the the Luca stuff was interesting. Like seeing LeBron back, the gray beard LeBron. It was entertaining. <laughs> it was fun to watch basketball. I'm just happy to have basketball back. Absolutely. Um, and as we kind of shift the focus towards the Hornets here, one thing that we always do with um, guests that we have on is we talk a little bit about their fandom. So Richie, I'm going to turn it over to you and just kind of discuss, um, you know, what, what drew you to the Charlotte Hornets uh, the genesis of your fandom, and you know, maybe even a reason or two about why you started the podcast as well. Yeah, so I was born uh, in 1988, the year that Charlotte was awarded the the franchise, and so growing up in Charlotte, with that being the first professional, like before the Panthers were even there, the first professional team in the area, uh, it was just it was big. I mean, they they sold out that arena. I think like eight straight years and they led the league in attendance for about eight years of those first 10, 14 years that they were there. Uh, so growing up in Charlotte, my parents kind of always dressed me in Charlotte Hornets gear. Uh, I'm sure I went to a couple of games when I was younger. Uh, I don't really remember some of the earlier teams in terms of like Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. I have to go back and actually watch those, but uh, I kind of started to pick up my fandom. I don't know, around when I was maybe eight, nine years old and, you know, Anthony Mason days, which obviously he played for the Knicks as well. Uh, Glenn Rice days. Those were kind of like the earlier teams that I started to remember. And basketball was always my sport. Like I, I play, I tried to play baseball. I tried to play football. Wasn't good at it. So basketball's always been my sport. So I've always been drawn to, you know, the NBA and the Charlotte Hornets, obviously. Now they're, 
the franchise itself has kind of taken a, a pretty big dip since its earlier days and the, the heydays and that purple and teal in the Coliseum. But uh, I'm still a fan. I still cover the team. Uh, in terms of the podcast and, and why I started that, I was originally writing for Queen City Hoops, which is was once kind of affiliated with the ESPN True Hoop blog, uh, but is no longer. About, I don't know, maybe six months into it, uh, one of the other writers there, he asked, hey, you want to start a podcast? And I was like, yeah, you know, it takes less time than actually writing, I feel like sometimes. And I love to talk about this team. Uh, so we've, we've had this podcast probably since late 2016 early 2017 somewhere around there uh that's actually like the last time the hornets made the playoffs i believe maybe maybe i can't i can't remember off the top of my head but uh i'm sticking uh with this team through and through even though that they're kind of like on a a little valley here we're trying to get back up trying to get back up like your knicks as well so that that's kind of how my fandom has kind of come to this point and I think that's a that's a good place uh, to start with with our a more targeted conversation for the Hornets because I think there's reasons for optimism and I you know and you definitely correct me if I'm wrong um, or on the right track because I, as a Hornets fan similar to Chip and I as Knicks fans like you know what it's like to be you know the butt of some of those NBA jokes right like Michael Jordan's ownership um, you know has has not come without you know pretty strict criticism for the years that he's been in charge. Um, but, and I say this with about as much certainty as I can for a team that's won 24 games, right? But I think there are some reasons to be optimistic. Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington are obviously big parts of that. Um, what do you attribute, if, if anything? I, I think I was just reading uh, an article from Sam Bassini of The Athletic, and he had rated the... Charlotte Hornets is having like the 16th best collection of talent in terms of young players on their rookie scale contracts, which is not bad. Um, what would you attribute, if you can see a light at the, at the end of the tunnel, what would you attribute that to? Cook check, um, Borrego's player development, like what have you seen if, if um, there's been an uptick, what, what, what can you attribute that to? Yeah, I think a combination of those things. Uh, when Michael Jordan, you know, was first the owner, it felt like he was just hiring yes men. You know, anything that he said, people were going to say yes to, um, or he would override something. And we've always heard about these past drafts with the Hornets where the Hornets or the coach or somebody in the room is settled on somebody. And then Michael Jordan either shoots it down and overrides it. And it always ends up someone uh, that is a bust or turns out not to be as good as the previous person that they kind of had the mention of. But now that cup check is into place, it feels like he's kind of deferring to Mitch a little bit. Uh, and to be honest, Mitch Kupchak the past two seasons has drafted well. Uh, last season they had, or two years ago, I should say, they drafted Devontae Graham, who you mentioned, and Miles Bridges. They also drafted uh, P.J. Washington this past draft, as well as Cody Martin. And then the biggest thing to me is, is James Borrego and his philosophy that he has kind of imparted on this team. He was hired strictly to be a player development coach. And that's always the key buzzword that we heard when he was hired. And I think he's done a great job of kind of, uh, he always talks about these four pillars that he has. Uh, and he's trying to get this team to compete, play hard, and just have this identity about them. And I will say this, I mean, in terms of obviously the record and their performance, it's not great. But when you watch them on you know, the, the TV screen, 
they do have the look of a, a modern NBA team in terms of their offense and shot profile, in terms of getting to the rim. They were, they were sixth in the NBA in terms of their attempts at the rim. Uh, they were, I think, 10th in the NBA in terms of their attempts from three, and they're limiting the mid-range shot. So, you know, all these indicators from from JB and his philosophy, it seems like it's it's working. Uh, obviously, we got to get a little bit more top-end talent, uh, but overall, I think there are some signs and uh, positive signs moving in the right direction there. Yeah, I know. Uh, just a little bit before we had you on, uh, Chip and I were talking. Uh, about Devontae Graham, and I know, and I know he wants to ask you more about him. But I was so surprised. Chip had, you know, educated me and was like, "Yeah, Devontae Graham took nine point whatever threes it, it was per game," and I was stunned. I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> but um, I guess that's that's kind of Borrego uh, letting the reins loose and, like you said, trying to shift uh, to more of a modern NBA style in terms of their shot profile and and where they get their points from. Right. Yeah, I mean, Devont- Devontae Graham ha- has been amazing this year. He started off really, really hot. And I think from like, I don't know, the 11th game on, he was inserted into the starting role. And that shifted Terry Rozier off ball, which we can get into Terry Rozier if you'd like to a little bit later. Uh, but since that 11th game, like, he really has taken off. I mean, he doesn't really have much of a game inside the three-point arc, and that's something that is going to be a part of his development moving forward in terms of his floater game and, and either finishing at the rim. He's got to get he's got to get good at either the mid-range shot or that floater game because inside the three-point line, like his numbers are poor. But uh, like, like Chip was mentioning, he does attempt a ton of threes a game. Um, he's a very pick and roll heavy guard, so he's coming off that pick and roll, and he can, you know, he can fire right away. And when teams went under, he definitely made them pay. Uh, he's also good on spot ups as well. So if Rozier is playing in there with them, or Malik Monk is playing in there with them, uh, you can run him off a couple of screens. He can catch, no dribble, shoot it. Uh, he's good as well. So the one thing for Devontae Graham moving forward, even though he's going to be in the conversation for the most improved player, he still has a ways to go in improving, like inside the arc in terms of uh, that floater game. Definitely chip. Yes. Yeah, shot shot below for, uh, 40% on twos. I was kind of surprised. Like that's a staggeringly low number in a restricted area too, like super low, but no, he's so the thing about him, the takeaway is he's so fun to watch. Like just as Nick's friends, like he beat us. I think it was a, wasn't it a buzzer beater, Jeff. I think he, uh, I know yeah. it was a, like, he just, threw one up from like 28 feet at the garden and just yep. was like sunk it you knew it was going at like he was torching us the whole game you knew it was going in no but i was when we were researching for this he has one of the highest efficiency differentials in the nba this year they're just significantly better with him on the court they're clearly and you look at the tape they're just when he comes on they just are piped up and play better with him on the court and when he comes off it's just a totally different team but I'm glad you brought up Rogier too, because the numbers with him and Rogier on the court are not great. And obviously, Graham is not a great defender. And Rogier, I guess, is a pl- considered a plus defender. But going forward, obviously, Rogier was considered, or when he signed the big contract, was supposed to be the starter. But they didn't know Graham was going to be to turn into this when they signed Rogier. So, what do you think about? Going forward, is this going to be the backcourt of the future, like a Graham Rogier backcourt? Is that a possibility? I mean, at least for the next what two years, in which you know Terry Rozier is signed for. I think a lot of people got 
gave Charlotte flack for how much they did the sign and trade for Terry Rozier three years, I think $57 million. But on the good end, it's only three years. So he's got two more years with this Hornets team. I never viewed, even in this Boston days, I never viewed Rozier as this guy that was this like lead ball handler type. Uh, he's felt more to me someone that could come in off the bench, be a spark. Uh, so he really wasn't suited to be that lead dog there at point guard position. So kind of getting to your question, I, I do think they can work together on the defensive side. It, it doesn't really work uh, because Devontae Graham uh, needs a whole lot more coverage because he, he's a little bit smaller. He kind of gets eaten up on screens a lot. But since Terry Rozier moved off ball, he, he, performed a whole lot better and me and my co-host joke all the time like this was the first year that he shot over 40 percent in his career like that's it's, it's, a, it's a low watermark but he, that's first time ever he shot over 40 percent and he was a really 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 good spot up and catch and shoot uh player he scored 1.11 points per possession on spot ups and he shot 45.9 percent on catch and shoot threes which of players 200 players in the nba with at least 200 catch-and-shoot threes, that ranks third in the NBA. Wow. So, so Terry Rozier, you know, he, he does have his deficiencies, but when he shifted off ball, I think Borrego found something, running him off screens, getting the ball out of his hand so he's not having to think, just catch and shoot. Um, but, yeah, I, for the most part, it's, it, it's going to be experimental, but luckily this, this team is so young that uh, – you know, if it doesn't work out, he's going to be off the team in two years. And there's one thing also, you know, I, I also want to just piggyback a, a, another thing on Rozier, and it, and it connects with Borrego a little bit. Like, to me, that's so interesting because, like you said, there was a lot of skepticism, a lot of flack thrown Charlotte's way when the contract was given out, right? But um, I was just reading an article, I think it was from Rick Bonnell from the Charlotte Observer, and not only did things relatively work for Rozier on the court, but he didn't, he was not a malcontent when it, when Devante Graham's star was starting to shine and he handled that very well too. Here's the thing I'm trying to connect it to. Like Devante Graham has a big year, um, candidate for most improved. Uh, PJ Washington is probably going to make an all NBA rookie team, whether it's first team or second team, who knows, right? Rozier develops into a serviceable player that, that shot better than a lot of his stats would say before he signed. Like, why aren't people talking about James Borrego a little bit more in terms of player development, in terms of a promising coach? Granted, the, the record is not good, but I think there's enough evidence there that, that maybe he should be getting a little bit more talk on a national scale than he is. What do you think about that? I, I would agree. I think it's probably mostly because it's the Hornets and their record. Like, I don't think it's necessarily anything against Borrego. People aren't paying attention to the Hornets. They're pretty irrelevant on the national scale, uh, if we're being honest here. So, yeah, I, I view I am very high on James Borrego in terms of just what he was hired to do, come in and be a player development piece. Um, you know, obviously it's going to take a couple more years to see how well he develops these young players like Malik Monk and Miles Bridges and PJ Washington and Devontae Graham. I mean, I don't think you can just take two years and say, Hey, he's, he's developed these players at, at a high, high rate. Uh, but I guess that's like the biggest thing to me is like Charlotte's just not viewed as this top tier kind of market or team. And so people don't really know about James Brayco. Now, the one thing that I'm always kind of interested in, like, sure, he was hired to be this player development piece, but let's say the Hornets in, in three, four years from now are in the playoffs. 
can this guy be a coach on a, on a playoff stage? Like that's like, that's like a different thing. So like, I, I don't know. I would love to see him in the, those types of roles. I feel like he's a pretty good X's and O's type of guy. Uh, but is he more of just like a Kenny Atkinson where he just kind of changes the culture, um, gets these young players to kind of perform above their abilities. Can he actually coach on the playoff stage? So one thing I, I will say, this is just like, like you said, like I think Charlotte's just got to get better and then maybe people will start recognizing James Rego. Player and, development coach is a is almost not considered a compliment anymore in the NBA. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and Chip, correct me if I'm wrong, but Borrego is another guy that the Knicks passed on for David Fisdale. I believe he did get an interview with us in addition to Budenholzer um, and a bunch of other people. I think Fisdale's agent spun it that he passed on the Hornets. Didn't he do that? I think I remember that. I remember Fizdale's agent leaking that he interviewed for the Hornets and the Bucks. But I think I, I think, chose the Knicks. I forget. I, I could be wrong, but I think Borrego was also on our uh, interview list as well. The, the year the the year Fizz was hired, I think Borrego was was in that as well, or he was. Rumored. Yeah, that's true. I know that's true. Yeah, but he's a Spurs guy, so they probably did. He's a yeah. Spurs guy. But it's just funny that again, that was like another guy we passed on. You know, including Mike Budenholzer, who's just like torching things oh, with gosh. the Bucks, all for David Fisdale. So that's just a you know that's and just he me. wanted that. Who wanted the job? Yeah, Mike yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and Richie, that's just me and Chip, just uh, just being bitter about being Knicks. I don't want to think just, about that any further. I know. Yeah, let's just. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Hornets. The Hornets are in the same position as the Knicks. I, I don't think we can get too high on Borrego yet. I, I personally am because I see him, you know, eighty-two games a year. Uh, but uh, you know, it's not like we're that much farther ahead of you guys in terms of uh, you know player development. I, I wouldn't say a whole lot more. There was one other thing about Devontae Graham that um, I, I wanted to kind of ask you about. So, like, he's drafted thirty-fourth overall, and a player that. Not in terms of game, right? And I don't know about mentality because I don't know too much about Graham. But a player that I've been seeing some similarity just in the terms of the way that he was reported on uh, in terms of like his development is, um, is Graham just like a legit diamond in the rough that the scouting department finds and, and identifies and, and they have a clear idea of how good he's going to be? Or is it kind of like a, a Jimmy Butler in the sense that, like, Butler was drafted, but no one, his faults, the shooting, no one thought that he would develop into, I mean, there's still some issues with his shooting here and there, but no one thought that he would develop and so quickly into the player that he is. Is, is Graham um, just kind of a product of his own work ethic, or is that another feather in the cap of Borrego, kind of? I think it's probably more of, his work ethic. I mean, th- this player probably Devonte probably dropped in the draft as well because of his age. Like he was a four-year player at Kansas, I believe. So he's he's like twenty-five years old. So even though he's this is his, he just finished his second year in the league. He's he's older for a yeah. second-year player, and that's that's another issue too with Cody Martin. Cody Martin, we can talk about as well. He's he had a great rookie season this year, but he's just he's just older. So I, I, it's one of those things where you wonder because he is. 
quotes older for for a second year player if there's going to be much more development i think there's a lot of room for improvement with him uh but i do i do think it's a lot with his work ethic and just trying to go out there and compete it's nice to see that he went from like four points a game to 18 points a game kind of like overnight and uh one thing that we haven't really talked about here on the podcast and we talked about all of his shooting numbers but he's a he's a good passer as well like i think people might just see all these these three point numbers, but he, he's, he's a, he's a lead guard that can pass. He has great passes as well. He passes players open. Um, so I do think that uh, a lot of Hornets fans did not expect this out of him. I think me personally, I was high on him, but I just thought he'd be like a rotational player, uh, seventh, eighth man you know, off the bench. Uh, I don't necessarily think he can be like a, a lead starter on a playoff team. Uh, he might be like a third or fourth option, but um, I think a lot of it has to do is with work ethic. And uh, as long as he can get some kind of game inside the arc, I think he's going to be a solid player for years to come. I don't think he'll ever be like a positive on the defensive side, uh, but his work ethic, I, I feel like he can, you know, get a floater, get get a mid-range shot, and that'll make his game a little bit more dynamic. As we um, shift towards the offseason, uh, and, I'm, and I'm hearing you talk about uh, Devontae Graham, um, you know, improving more at the rim or, or getting a floater, do you feel like when it comes to off-season needs, um, having more shooters that can space the floor, uh, maybe open up things for him, is that something that's going to be pretty high on the list? Is there anybody that maybe you have in mind? Yeah, so in terms of needs with this Hornets team, it, it, we do need shooters. I mean, we, we talked about the actual profile of this team, and they got to the spots. Borrego says, you know, attack the rim, take take open threes, try to limit your mid-range shots. But the Hornets just didn't make those shots. Uh, there's a stat on, on cleaning the glass. I don't know if you guys have a subscription to that. It's pretty cool. There's something called location uh, effective field goal percentage. Basically, it says if you shot a league average from the spots on the floor that you take the shots, uh, where would you rank? Charlotte would rank sixth in the NBA because wow. they're taking the shots that they need to. The problem is the accuracy is just not there. The accuracy is just not where it needs to be. I think they were like 30th in the NBA in terms of rim percentage, uh, 30th in the mid-range, and like middle of the pack when it comes to three. So, yes, I, we do need some shooters on the outside. Uh, that would help a ton. Joe Harris is always a name that's kind of popped up in my mind, but I, I feel like he might get overpaid a little bit. Uh Christian Wood is another name. Uh, clearly, he is a big, uh, but he can stretch the floor. He did a very good job this year at getting to the rim and scoring and shooting the ball from deep. And he was actually on the Hornets roster at one point. He was on the 2016-17 team. I will say this. My first ever post for Queen City Hoops was actually about the acquisition of Christian Wood. So I know Christian Wood all too well. I talked about him on the podcast as well, my podcast. He He's probably going to get overpaid. I think what the Hornets need to do is maybe get someone on the fringe, maybe like a, a Jacob Pertle, uh, Jakob Pertle, I should say, uh, someone kind of on a lower tier that's not going to get overpaid. I think what's gotten the trouble, Hornets' trouble in the past is that they feel like they need to spend money. And, uh, you know, Batum signed this huge contract back in the summer of 2016, and he just hasn't lived up to it. So, to answer your original question, I think the Hornets need shooters, but I also think they need a center as well because a lot of these centers are, are going to be coming off the book soon uh, in these next up next two summers. And if you're uh, if if you're the GM, um, 
you know, given the timeline of some of the young guys, which are a little bit older too, uh, would you subscribe to the mindset that this team should be, um, you know, Mitch, Mitch Kupchak's kind of been on the record saying like, we'll, we're still in the talent acquisition stage of development, right? So like, would you be of the mindset that, you know, we should be taking on maybe some bad contracts to get some picks? Um, or should they be trying to, uh, again, not in terms of like commitment financially long term, but having some serviceable veterans on the roster that can help the development of, you know, some of the younger guys going forward? I think that Cupcheck is, is clearly stated, like you mentioned, that they're probably in, you know, asset acquisition mode. They're going to have, I think, like 22, well, depending on what the salary cap yeah. is for next season, no one knows about that. Um, they're going to have about $22 million in cap. So that, that's, a, that's a sizable number. But I think what you just mentioned, I think it would be a good idea for Charlotte to maybe trade and expiring to another maybe contending team because the summer of 2021, we all know that that free agent class is, is a big one. So if we can maybe clear some space off another team's books while also acquiring some draft picks uh, in the future, I think that'd be the way to go because there's no rush with this team. I, I think if you're trying to compete, you know, next season and you make some kind of rash decision uh, over the off season uh, to sign someone just to feel like you are going to compete for that eighth or seventh spot in the East, it's not going to be worth worth it. And that's kind of what got Charlotte in trouble in the past. So I did, uh, we kind of talked about this trade and you let me know if you think this trade is fair. So this is between the Hornets and Houston. So we have Cody Zeller, who's on our books next year for $15 million. He's an expiring. He's a solid role player. He can set screens. He used to be like top in the league, top five in the league in screen assist. So Zeller's going to Houston. Uh, and then we will take on Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon, who has, I think, three or four more years left on his contract. The salaries match perfectly, uh, but we will be taking on more money longer term. And then we acquire like a first round pick and a second round pick. I feel like that would clear some space up for Houston for next summer. Um, something something to that effect. I, I feel like that's a deal that the Hornets need to make. Chip, what do you think? I think Houston would be thrilled to turn, uh, to get off the Gordon contract. He's looked like shit. I mean, he's had like the worst season of his career this year. So, yeah, I, I'd do that if I were Houston. And we also don't know who's going to be calling the shots. I wouldn't be surprised if Daryl Morey's not going to be in charge. So with Morey not in charge – it would be even more likely you soon make that trade. But, yeah, I I think the next guy may uh, not be completely averse to having a, a seven-footer on the team, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> not, uh, so Zeller may be welcomed on the team. Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting trade. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely fits with asset acquisition for sure. Um, and we've seen that Houston, at least under Maury, has no problem with throwing around uh, first-round draft picks. Um, I think I think it would be interesting. I, I think, um, you know, Har- Charlotte's in a really interesting stage right now. Um, I don't know. I think I think that would be a pretty decent trade. Is there any, um, any other um, moves kind of in a similar vein that you can envision Cupcheck kind of uh, going after, or is it, mo- is it mostly going to be you know, some of the free agents that you pointed out before and, and maybe some type of salary dump like that or, or 
bringing on salary with a with a yeah. I, I think it's going to be a very quiet off season for Charlotte. I think if there was to be a move that was going to be made, it's going to be some like mid tier free agent signing. And, and you mentioned veteran presence. I mean, sure, that's nice. We had Marvin Williams on our team last season, uh, and he's been a great veteran. And he's now on the Bucks, and I think he's going to play a big role for that Milwaukee team. Uh, but Yes, you, you need those types of players to kind of foster those those young players and, and get them up to speed. But I don't think Charlotte is going to be in a rush. I think a, a salary dumping situation is where they're going to go if if they make a move. They think they have like three draft picks this upcoming draft, so one first rounder, two draft, two second rounders. So when that's all said and done, they'll have about 13, 14 players still on the roster, a lot of them younger. The, the biggest contract on the uh, the salary cap here is Batum. He has a $27 million player option, which he's going to take, right, guys? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's opting out. No, no he won't be opting out. No. He, he, so – once when he's off the books next year, their, their cap space opens up even more. So I don't think they'd be opposed to taking on someone like an Eric Gordon. That was just one of the hypotheticals. I, I can't think of any more off the top of my head. Uh, the, the problem with Houston, though, is they don't, I don't think they have a first-round pick in the next, next two drafts, which is, which is crazy. So yeah. yeah, so that could be an issue with Charlotte. It, can they be that patient and wait for a first-round pick three years down the line? I'm not sure. But something in that vein – the, the biggest the biggest free agent signing I could see is like Jakob Pertl. Like that's kind of what I see. A good defender can race shots at the rim, has a little bit of a mid range game, uh, but really isn't going to be someone that just kind of takes you over the hump. Okay. Yeah. What about uh, not to shift uh, the topic too much, but what about in the draft? Who do you like for him in the draft? Because they're obviously going to have a top ten pick. Yes, they're projected to get what eighth pick overall. Yeah. I. Think um, I uh, my, my two co-hosts are much bigger draft fans than I am. I, I just kind of sit back and wait till they get to the NBA before I start making evaluations uh, because, you know, there, there's so many draft prospects and only one of them is going to end up on the Hornets in the first round. So I but, – but where I do lean on that eighth spot, I would say Devin Fassell. I, I think that guy is going to be a very solid player um, in terms of just being – a factor on both ends of the court. He's got that three and D potential. I know we throw out that term a ton, uh, but the Hornets could use threes and they could use some D on that side of the court as well. Uh, the one thing that I do talk about with the co-host is whether or not he can kind of um, be someone that can play with the ball in his hands a little bit. I think he improved his second year at Florida state off the dribble, but uh, you can never have enough players that can just go create for themselves if they need it. And I think he can. He will show that eventually. But that's my one question mark with Vassell. And this is kind of the conversation that we've also had on our podcast with, with the Hornets is, you know, this team, yes, they have a lot of good, solid young players, but they don't necessarily have anyone with that high, high upside. And it's always a debate come draft season. Do you take a swing on somebody with high upside you know, risking maybe they be a bust. So that that's always that conversation that we have. And I don't know if there's going to be a player like that at number eight. Uh, maybe if James Wiseman falls, like he's someone that has a high variance in terms of how people view him. And again, that's a, that's a position of need as well. Um, but I don't know. My, my co-hosts are always like, you know, go for the sure bet, go for the sure bet, and then maybe they'll develop into something a little bit bigger. And I think Vizel might have some kind of sneaky upside, but he's definitely not someone that I consider this guy that's going to be you know, a multiple gear all-star. Yeah, I, I love the cell. Um, I, I wrote an article on him. I don't know if it was a month, maybe a little more than a month ago. 
Um, and I think the, the point that you bring up about creating off the dribble uh, and some of the improvements is definitely valid. Like you saw his pull-up game was definitely decent this year. It looks a little shaky. Like when you watch it on tape, yeah. it doesn't seem like he's very comfortable getting into those shots. Um, but like what I love about him, and it just jumps off when you watch the tape, his disruptive level on pick and rolls and just his energy and motor, it's like MKG-esque. Like, I think I, I just I love watching the guy play. Like he blows up plays and I feel like he he can be a momentum shifter just by what he does on the court and, and not even having to improve some of the other areas of his game that hopefully will naturally improve based on the fact that he's like 19, 20 years old. Um, so I love Devin Vassell. I think any team that gets him as long as they keep like, like even if he developed into not necessarily an all-star, but like an Otto Porter type, which I think is like an archetype that you would hope, you know, given his position and his length um, would be great, you know? So I think that's a big thing. I've seen Wiseman attached to the Hornets a lot this year uh, for whatever reason. I'm perp- I'm not a hundred percent high on him, but I could see him falling back. So I think the Hornets, if they stayed at eight, would have a lot of decision-making to do because Wiseman, if you hit on him, I mean, could be amazing. Um, you know, some of the, the limited tape that you have of him is pretty impressive. Some of the stuff that he can do on the court, even just from like a passing standpoint. I did one tankathon uh, simulation today, and uh, it o- Okongu had come up there, which I think if he dropped to eight would be awesome um, for you guys. Like he's a super yep. skilled guy. I know Chip likes him a lot. Um, you know, so that, that would be something that would work out as well. Um, one of the conversations that I I know I definitely want to get into, and and me and Chip were talking about a little bit offline is, um, I think it's a, it's a comparable conversation to have. Who would you take right now? Um, the Charlotte Hornets core of young players or the New York Knicks core of young players? Uh, I, I hate to be a homer, but I think I'd rather take the Hornets. I, I mean, I feel like I'm being a homer here. I mean, I think one player on your roster that I, I think the Hornets would love to have is, is Robinson. Right. You know, just that vertical lob threat, uh, to, you know, eraser uh, on the back end of the defense. I think one, there's a couple players on the Hornets roster, and one player that we really haven't talked about is Malik Monk. I think he's in his, what, third or fourth year in the league, and he actually showed before his suspension, drug suspension, he showed a lot of good things uh, this season. Um, he's never really developed that outside shot because when you guys thought of him, when I thought of him, when anyone thought of him at Kentucky, you thought he'd come in and, and be this guy that just knocks down threes. But that's the one thing that really just hasn't developed. But other than that, he's been very attack-minded, getting to the rim. I think he takes like close to 40% of his field goal attempts at the rim. He shot 64% at the rim, which is a really, really good number. He's an underrated passer. So it seems like he's almost more of a point guard in a way in terms of just the way he can play with the ball in his hands and get to the rim. He comes off screens for the Hornets, but he's not necessarily coming off to, to shoot a three. Uh, you know, Defensively, he's still going to get hung up on screens because he's a little thin. Uh, but from the eye test, he's competing a little bit more. So I think Malik Monk sometimes get overlooked uh, in terms of the Hornets' young players. Miles Bridges, uh, in terms of you know, you know, some of his stats, he's been pretty poor uh, this year, or he didn't really make the jump that you thought he would. Uh, I think people see him, you know, he's, he's a very good dunker. He won the uh, Rising Stars MVP at the All Star Weekend, um, but 
I think, you know, just from the looks of it, he's this athletic specimen that can get up and down the court, but he's never really developed any kind of game with the ball in his hand. Um, he struggles off the bounce. He has a very loose, loose handle. I will say that uh, James Brego did take advantage of some mis- mismatches with him down in the post. Um, and, and he's a guy that a lot of people are having conversations with. Is Are he and P.J. Washington just too redundant? When, he, when P.J. Washington was drafted, it felt like both of these guys were competing for the same spot on the court, and they were drafted in back-to-back seasons. And I know that you never want to draft based off of need. I think a lot of times best player available is always something that comes up. And if Miles Bridges and, and P.J. Washington were the best player available, you probably figured that they can kind of figure it out down the line. But I think my hope with Miles Bridges is kind of waning a little bit in terms of what he can be. He just struggles too much with the ball in his hands. He's, he's kind of primarily a spot-up guy. Uh, so kind of how I'd rank these guys on the Hornets roster, I don't know too much about the Knicks in terms of how you guys would rank your kind of core pieces on the young end. I think Devontae Graham is number one. I think P.J. Washington is number two. I would put Malik Monk at number three, and then Bridges at number four. So those are like the four core guys, I would say. Uh, but Miles Bridges has been a little bit unimpressive this year. His metrics are brutal. I, I didn't realize they were that bad. I, we were looking up stuff on him. Bridges are Bridges' metrics are pretty brutal. Uh, Jeff, I don't know how you would rank the Knicks guys. I would say RJ one, Mitch two, and then Frank. And then I really don't see the need to keep going. <laughs> I, I, you know what's funny? I mean, I you know like from a positional standpoint, and in terms of like what type of impact RJ can have because he's a scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why putting him at one. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I like Mitch at one, uh, even though he has no offensive game besides being a lob threat. I just think defensively he can impact the game so much. And like Chip and I were talking, if we were to mesh both squads, and uh, we were saying like reluctantly kind of, we would put Devontae one just because he's the scorer and is most likely to have the ball in his hands. We'd put Mitch two. And then, you know, both RJ and PJ were rookies this year. PJ definitely had the better season. Um, I, I'm, I'm high on RJ, even though his numbers suck, just because, uh, you know, and I've said this to Chip a million times, I was so nervous about the Knicks drafting him because of what I saw at Duke on defense and tunnel vision and just being um, taking a ton of shots. But he really, watching pretty much every game that he played, Really impressed me defensively. Um, the numbers are not going to back that up, but but he is a smart defender, a willing defender, and um, you know it's it's just going to matter on that shot. So you probably put PJ three, you know RJ um, four. And RJ's got the higher ceiling, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk to us, Richie. Talk to us a little bit because you mentioned them a couple times before, and I love these guys in college. Talk to us a little bit about the Martin twins and what they kind of bring to the table because I know one is more offensive-minded, and the other one is more defensive-minded. Yeah, and obviously a lot of people can't tell them apart. They're identical twins here. Uh, they're number 10 and 11 on the roster. Uh, but So Cody Martin was the one that was drafted. He was drafted in the second round, 36th overall. And again, like I mentioned prior, he's, he's older. He's like 24 years old. He is probably the one that's, that's a bigger factor on the defensive side. I think Cody and Caleb actually played very well on the defensive side. Cody Martin 
was just a bigger factor. I mean, he 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 can be a point of attack defender. He can take on the the, the opposing team's primary creator and and stop that. Uh, he's a really really good team defender and making rotations and helping out on pick and rolls. He also had a lot of charges this season. If I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I had to bet, if you did like charges per thirty six, he'd probably be number one in the NBA. I mean, he didn't get a ton of minutes compared to some of these other players, but he definitely had like 12, 13, 14 charges uh, this season. He doesn't have a shot. He's the one that doesn't necessarily have a shot. He is more of a guy that's going to get to the rim. Uh, he shoots a solid number from the rim, like 60, 65% from there. Um, low usage guy. So like Cody Martin's more of like a low usage guy. He can, he can dribble. He, he was a point guard, I think in college yeah. at one point he can pass a little bit. Uh, but if he doesn't develop a shot, you kind of wonder how good he's going to be on the next level. He's kind of like a Fabo Cephalosha. Like that's kind of how I view him. Like a good defender, low usage, can sh- can get to the rim and stuff like that. Caleb Martin, he spent most of his time in Greensboro, the, the G League affiliate for the Hornets. And he is, yeah, he's more of the shooter. And it was a low, low volume, but he shot like 50% from three, <laughs> which is which is obviously not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, of the two, is, is the shooter the score, I guess. Cody Martin, to me, is just more solid. You know what you're getting with him on the defensive side of the court. He can do it all on that end, take charges, rotate, uh, be a point-of-attack defender, and he can handle the ball a little bit on the offensive side. If he can just get some kind of shot, maybe even if it's just like 33% from from deep, he's going to be that much bigger factor. Uh, Caleb... Caleb is like the like the complete opposite of, of Cody on the offensive end. He he can take threes, but he can't get to the rim. So uh, both both pleasant surprises. Uh, I don't know how long they're going to last in the NBA, but uh, you always will take an energy guy off the bench. And um, they both uh, they went to Nevada, right? Or or no? Yeah, so I, I think they first started off at NC State, uh, okay. but they ended up at Nevada for their their end of their college career. And like I said, Cody was the one that drafted. Caleb uh, was not, and we signed him as an undrafted free agent. It's funny; a lot of people think that like maybe we signed these guys as some kind of publicity stunt. But uh, I mean, I don't think anyone's really caring about the, the Martin twins on the Hornets. Really, like I don't think that's putting any butts in seats. So I think they just really do like these guys and how they compete, and they're, they're coming in. And Caleb Martin clearly could have gone any. I mean, anywhere that that he had an offer for. So I think these guys have just have some kind of synergy together. I don't know how many minutes they played together because like I said, Caleb played most of his time in Greensboro. Uh, but when they were together, it, it, it felt like they, they kind of knew where each other was going on the court. Yeah. I, I remember watching them in the tournament and just thinking to myself, like they, they make an impact, you know, um, there's holes in both of their games, but, mm-hmm. but they, they make an impact and, and you can visibly see uh what they do on the court even if they're not necessarily scoring or doing something that's like you know crazy outstanding or anything like that um kind of as we get towards the end here i I guess uh unless chip has anything else too uh, one thing i want to ask is you know going forward right i think there's like some reasonable optimism with this season despite the record um do you feel confident in the brain trust do you feel confident with borrego and uh, Mitch Kupchak at the Hounds. Um, do you fear, you know, me and Chip as Knicks fans always fear the owner stepping in, right? Dolan and, and doing something as we just saw on Twitter today, um, potentially. But do you fear uh, that Jordan 
um, could potentially nix whatever kind of good vibes you have going on, or do you feel pretty confident going forward that the, the ship's going to get right? I guess that's always in the back of, of Hornets fans' minds is MJ. I think, he, like, I, like I mentioned kind of towards the beginning of this podcast, he, he stepped in in some of these critical decisions, and it feels like he's been the one in all these mistakes. Uh, but I'm starting to trust this kind of new regime under Mitch Kupchak a little bit more uh, because it feels like more of these moves he's been out in front of, he's been more vocal, and MJ's kind of been taking a back seat. We really haven't heard much from MJ since Mitch has taken over. And you would have thought maybe by hiring Mitch Kupchak – you know, they're both UNC buddies that, that maybe he, that's just another yes man. But I think it's also in the, in the, in the sense that he trusts Mitch. He, he's going to say, hey, Mitch, I trust you. you. You do what you need to do to make this team better. And I didn't think that Mitch Kupchak would be someone that could come into the Hornets and kind of reconstruct this team. But I feel like he's doing a good job. He's said all the right things. And he's going to take his time with this team and not make any rush decisions uh, in the offseason. And I do trust James Borrego. I mentioned him at the top of the podcast, just how I like his philosophy and how the team is buying into him. Again, down the road, whether or not he can actually coach a playoff team, I guess that's a different question altogether. It will take, I think, you know, another two or three years. I just hope uh, that they don't make some kind of a crazy decision this offseason and try to sign someone that's going to make them better just for the immediate future. Um that, that's, I guess that's always in the back of my mind with MJ. Like he, he wants to compete. He doesn't like losing. So he's going to try to sign someone that puts butts in seats and, and tries to get them into the playoffs, even if that means they get swept in the first round, uh, which seems to be the, the case uh, with this Hornets team. It's funny. I, we had a guest on our podcast, I don't know, about six months ago, and he said that he was a Knicks fan growing up and that he stopped becoming a Knicks fan because of Dolan which is funny to me. Now he's a Hornets fan because MJ and Dolan, I feel like there's some similarities between the two. Because of Dolan, they stopped being a Knicks fan. <laughs> Such a weird thing to do. To <laughs> stop being a fan because of the owner. Who would have thought that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know where he was thrown out or where he yeah. lives or whatever, but uh, that's, that was his reasoning. He said Dolan was, was the reason he left. Were you talking to Spike Lee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um there's there's all there's always a whole bunch that comes with dolan um you know like you i think you know generally knicks fans have had some tempered optimism with him supposedly staying out of uh meddling affairs and and maybe you know letting uh the people who he delegates power to just do their thing and kind of work um but the issue is the people that he picked to uh, carry that out have not been typically the right men for the job or for whatever reason have not really succeeded. Um, but, I mean, on, on, on your end, it, it's good to hear kind of that Charlotte, I think, has some things going in the right direction, still more work to do. And, and uh, like when we compare them to the Knicks, I, I was telling Chip, I, I'd rather have our cap situation, but I think I might rather have as a whole your prospects um, not saying that there's like significant separation between, uh, either. Um, but I, overall, I think that's pretty good. And honestly, uh, learned a ton about the Charlotte Hornets today for sure. Um, so before we let you go, I uh, just want to give you a chance if there's anything that you're working on, uh, to be able to promote it, tell the good people listening, uh, where they can find you, uh, and your podcast as well. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I record a Hornets podcast called Buzz Beat. We release a pod 
weekly. It's typically every Wednesday. Uh, we talk about the Hornets mostly, but we'll get into some NBA talk, and I'm sure that's what we're going to have to do as the Hornets are no longer playing here. We've been we've been profiling draft prospects since March. I yeah, like, oh, me they're, too. they're pushing us back, and I'm just like, what are we going to talk about now? So we'll probably take a break or a, a, you know, a hiatus at some point, but every week we typically come out with a podcast, uh, and you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Richie Randall. I post videos of, of Hornets and uh, plays and stuff like that. Um, I'm not too active, but I'm on there as well. Awesome. Well, Richie, thanks again for coming on. Uh, definitely a really great conversation. Um, you know, looking forward to the good stuff you got, you know, coming out with the pod and, and anything Charlotte's Hornets related. Um, and, and thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. And for anyone listening, uh, Chip and I will be back. Uh, we're still trying to um, target a Hawks writer for our M- NBA A through Z series. We hope everyone stays safe and we will talk to you guys soon.